All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, and well, we are winding them down. We're closing out the year, and it is getting really close to go time. Recording this episode already on Friday. Hey, look at that. Things in the way. Can't tell the today's date. Well, they all blend together when you work uh, longer hours, but anyway... What is going on? 94, episode number 94 of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And today, we got something a little bit different. It's actually going to be a little mini series between now and Dakar. What are we going to be talking about? Well, if you read the title, you kind of maybe know what it is already, but let's talk about it. Here we go. So, American Rally Originals getting ready to head out to the Dakar. Been keeping up with them. I've been the fly on the wall in the chat and just watching all of the stuff that goes on. And getting ready just to go to the Dakar, right? We're not even there yet. They're, these guys aren't even there yet. Mentally, maybe. They're already in game time. Everybody seems focused on what they need to be doing, which is really awesome. Clicking the things off, but today's episode, a little bit different. Just thinking on the way to work. You know, it'd be really cool. These guys are about to embark on a huge adventure. And so I think it's time we talk a little bit about something other than the Dakar with them. So... Today's episode going to be Jim and Dave Pearson talking a little bit about their adventures and what they've done up until now, because I think the Dakar is about to replace the most epic adventure they've had. So anyway, with that being said, that is the intro. You guys tune into the interview. Stay tuned to the very end. I got some more announcements, some rally updates for you. And we'll get ready because episode 95, five more episodes to episode 100. So absolutely stoked about that. But anyway. With that being said, enjoy. All right. All right. I think we're going to go with Jim first. Because Jim, excellent. <laughs> before beauty, ah, uh, is, is that what it, I thought it was? Experience before beauty. Is that what we're going to go with, Jim? Um, looks before smarts. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right, Jim. Where are you at in the world? I am just outside of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Nice. Okay, so you mean business. You're already there. Are you practicing starts yet? On the ground, I drove through Yambu, which is the start of the event, a few days ago and scoped out the areas. No idea where the sea camp is. Couldn't find that. And usually I have a pretty good nose for these things. So it's still secret. The car keeps their secrets well. Nice. Well, yeah, you do have this ability, right, to navigate into the middle of nowhere with using a bunch of pictures and, and numbers. <laughs> so you think it'd be easy to find. You, you know, I even tried to backdoor it in with the information that they provided with some bivouac instructions. I still couldn't find it. <laughs> I do know where the port is. Okay. So you're just going to have to start follow, following vehicles. You're going to have to sit outside the port and do some recon work there. That looks like an ASO vehicle. Um, they actually sent out a notification saying, welcome to the start of the race, and here's here's your first stop at the sea camp in Yambu, and here's the GPS coordinates. So nice. I think that's coming. Nice. 
Well, good. And and countdown. How long have you been there? Uh, just a week. We came in from Jordan uh, through Israel, um, which was an interesting trip to get here. Oh, uh, I think. Well, it's been a whole interesting trip because you were only here stateside for like two and a half hours and then went back. So you've been traveling the yeah, world and, for a minute. Well, and I spent, I spent an hour and a half of that in Mexico. Oh, okay. So <laughs> Hitting all the continents. <laughs> all the countries you can. So that was the, the in the intro. I, I really want to talk to this. The other day I was driving to work and I was like, you know, this is interesting. This is going to be a really big adventure, right? Malamoto is one of the toughest Dakar classes you can compete in. I mean, it just, that's. I think it's hands down. You guys are going to be doing everything yourselves. Yeah, there's a little bit of assistance, but it's not what people think. So that's a big adventure. And I'm like, well, before we get into that adventure, because I feel like it's going to replace or add to like when people ask you, right, what is the biggest adventure you've been on? I I feel like for you guys, it's probably going to change to Dakar after this. But the question is, is before this. Before the Dakar, what, what's been the biggest adventure you've been on? Well, you know, I'm currently mid round the world by caravan uh, trip. And so right now that's the top of my big adventure list and it's still ongoing. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to fit the Dakar in on it in on that process and actually drive there. So it's been really interesting trying to coordinate all that and get halfway around the world with, uh, with, uh, your RV caravan going through 20 odd countries last year. That's nuts. So how did that adventure come about? When did you decide to do this? What was the, um, Jim says RV, but you have to think Ford, E550 Earth Roamer when you think RV. Yeah, that, that is very um, true. <laughs> I, I chose an expedition truck because, uh, you know, we we like to get off the beaten path. We don't go and do these rallies to uh, see the normal terrain, and that carries through to my other lifestyle stuff too. So, uh got to be capable of going off-road and seeing over what's over the next horizon and uh, instead of just pavement thanks so this is i mean it absolutely unadventure you're in the adventure adventure bike equivalent of a motorhome correct enough off-road capable to do enough off-road but it's not going to be a dakar entrant you know, but like the big commas and, and all those things. <laughs> not, not even close. It's got it's got a house. It's got uh, everything you need to be self sufficient and off grid. Nice, very nice. And so, this adventure. Now, I know you guys were involved with motorcycles here stateside forever and a half. When did this adventure start? What was the? Uh, it was the the, the it started with me with with COVID and going, um, our business model changed and it was a good time for me to have an exit strategy there. Uh, and David basically pushed me out the door, which is the push I needed. And, uh, 
decided not going to live in fear. So I shipped my truck overseas um, in uh, the height of COVID and started traveling the world in that time frame and haven't looked back. That's awesome. And I mean, is there like, do you have a road book? Do you have a list of places you're going to see, or you just get to a place and pick the next place? It's a combination. You have to, you have to learn to be flexible. A lot of times you don't know what you don't know until you're on the ground. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you have to be flexible to go. I heard this from other people, or this is an interesting thing I saw on the map and be willing to take the time to go see those things. Of course, you have the big goals in each place. Uh, one of my ways to see some interesting culture and experiences in countries is to go visit the World Heritage Sites and use that as uh, a guide, a pathway to see some of the most interesting cultural and historical things in the world. And it, uh, is really enriching. Uh, yeah, I saw the, uh, I saw the picture the other day that you, that you posted. Was that in Petra? No, where were you at? Petra, Jordan. Yeah. Nabataean, uh, civilization of 2000 years ago. That city was large. They estimate there was probably a hundred thousand people, there 200,000 years ago and full on culture and commerce and bookkeeping. And, you know, that's kind of been one of the surprising things I've been kind of learning in my travels is that my perception and my readings, I've kind of thought that, you know, we didn't kind of become like an active human species until, you know, 500 years ago. And I'm finding out that 5,000 years ago, you know, you had the the baker, the tailor, and the, you know, the, the bookkeepers, the accountants, the whole works, the whole commerce thing and exchanges and barter systems and money was occurring so long ago. It's been more Wait, so if I'm hearing this correctly, the second oldest profession in the book is an accountant. I feel like that's the, <laughs> or a bookkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's all. That's all that's a lot of debate going on there. Yeah. Speaking of cities, uh, David, we were talking warming up here a minute ago. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a very interesting fact about the Dakar and, uh, and lunch service. Yeah, we were uh, looking through some of the material on, on the Dakar for the event. They sent some stuff out to competitors, a lot about the bivouac, and they were talking about the cafeteria, right? Because we, sometimes we just need to know how far we are in Malimoto to the cafeteria. And uh, they're saying statistically they will serve about 9,000 meals a day through that cafeteria for the event. And, and you know, that's, that's support crew, that's trucks, motorcycles, quads, eight side-by-sides, that's all of us and all the people around it ranges about 9,000 meals a day. Then they pack up all that stuff and they move on to the next bivouac. It's crazy. That's that, that means that with all the people at the event, there's about 3,000 accredited people 
that are traveling with the event every day. That is absolutely nuts. I mean, that yeah. if, if that puts it into perspective, right, you know, that many just having to serve that many meals. And like you said, you know, Jim, 3000 people. I mean, it's I don't know how many people fit on an aircraft carrier. I feel like it's about <laughs> four or five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> no, air, aircraft carrier, carrier carries six thousand. OK, OK. So half of one of those. But still, <laughs> just as. Pull it out of your butt statistics. Oh, okay, is that the, uh, the OMA file, the out of my ass file? <laughs> okay, so speaking of food, Jim, now that you've traveled all of this so far and the adventure's not over, uh, the food, what's been the, the craziest food, like, you know, you maybe were surprised by, or, you know, when you think food, what's the first thing that comes to mind from where you've traveled? Well, didn't really enjoy the tripe soup in Bulgaria. Uh, the pasta dishes were fantastic in Italy. Um, Greek salads, my new favorite salad. I don't know why we don't serve that more often. It's about the healthiest choice you can go. We almost have that every meal now. And, uh, but the one thing that, that's been really surprising for me on this trip is how many people bring us food and just to come talk to us. So they bring a gift of fruit or fresh bread or tea or um, even full meals and breakfasts and chase us down and flag us over and want to have a meal on the side of the road with us and picnic. It's been fantastic. The hospitality of the people around the world has just been uh, surprising. Interesting. And so that's, uh, I mean, so what I know, right, Baja California South versus Baja California North are two different countries. I mean, it, it really, the, the mentality, the, the people kind of really changes. In what you've traveled already, I mean, have you found another place that's kind of like the States, you know, and what have you seen here? I mean, that, that kind of hustle and bustle or? Um, there's definitely hustle and bustle in every country it's usually around the large metropolitan areas um you know i haven't found too many places that you can't get all the services that that you absolutely are critical you can you can find them in every country uh some of them you got to go a little further for but um i i find that you know People are hustling everywhere. Nice. Yeah. Every, I, well, yeah, I guess that, that obviously makes sense, right? They, that's the one thing you should, you know, never uh, talk down to somebody or whatever. You, like, you don't know what their struggle is and what their life is. And so I guess, yeah, I mean, every, every country is going to have its own culture. And what from the outside looks like it's, oh, this is pretty relaxed. You know, it's not. There's struggles there. There's, there's everything. Well, you know, it's just like traveling across the U.S. You you can see the whole spectrum mm-hmm. in the U.S. It, that's true in every country that we find from, you know, the people that are working hard every day to the ones that are hustling in the cities and everything in between. Yeah. So, so far, 
is has there been a place that you wish you would have spent more time at or that you want to go back to uh still yes we didn't get to explore all the balkan areas croatia serbia um montenegro that area didn't have time to explore and uh we'll try to figure out something in the future and then um greece definitely had some more spots and some more history that that uh we didn't get to see even though if you spent 30 days there you still don't get to see very much uh so the There's a lot more to see. I, I can't pinpoint it down to everywhere, but there's there's other parts over the horizon that are just as interesting. Nice. Well, yeah, you're on, you're on the sighting lap. For those of you in motocross, you're the, <laughs> you're just seeing which ones are the ones worth going back. <laughs> now, exploring wise, you've done it both in the Earth Roamer, but then also you've been doing rallies around. Uh, it seems like you're you're not only is it the heritage sites that you're visiting, but it's also uh, rallies and stuff that you've been doing which ones have you done and yeah. what have they been like uh i've had fun i've done a rally in spain the andalusia rally um it was through all of fields and stuff like that I, it it wasn't definitely one of my favorites um just because they they had so many restrictions on you 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 can't get off the course type of thing. So you didn't have the opportunity to get lost. They had flag corners. So the, the pace was high and that was the, the, that style of race, but it didn't do much for testing your navigation skills. Um, Greece was a lot of fun actually yeah, with a lot of varied terrain. So I did a rally in Greece, um, fairly close to Athens um, and you know, that's mountain riding and lots of rocks and down to the ocean. So that one was, that one was actually a blast. Did well there, uh, was floating around in the top 10 for, for most of the days and getting out early. So that was good. And then I did one in Romania, a six day rally uh in the same kind of areas that they do the Romaniacs hard enduro uh went through that town uh, thankfully they didn't send us up any of those crazy hard enduro hill climbs because that would have knocked a lot of people out but uh that was a wet event full of mud so i've i've gotten in quite the variety and that was a blast i got fifth overall in the motorcycle class at that event. Nice. All right. So, so getting some, uh, some, some warm up. And what you said is true. I've heard that a lot from a lot of the competitors that have gone to Andalusia. This is kind of a, a, a special rally in that sense that it's more WRC than rally raid. Marked corners, uh, very high speed. You got to get comfortable backing bikes into corners and, and drifting. And, you know, so I feel like. <laughs> A little bit of a handful. Yeah, and that's what it was set up for. So that, you know, if you know that going in, that's what to expect. But if you want to have additional, you know, the navigation is kind of a lot of the fun part of 
rally raid is to, you know, have to kind of work on that thinking part of the sport, which, uh, which makes it interesting for me. Yeah. Nice. Well, you're going you're gonna to get a, a few days of challenge here comes in short order. Yeah, I've been studying there. Uh, they released uh, what the days were going to be like in liaison times. And, um, boy, they, they look like they really set up to work you hard. The very first three days uh, looks particularly challenging as far as length of the specials and time on the bike. Oh, man. So the, the welcome is, is very much... Uh, a tough one. Not not an easy welcome. I think they're going to put it in your face. Is the way that I kind of read it. Yeah, which is funny because we were watching the, uh, and I, I'm sure you guys saw it, the the interview with Costera and them, like where they were presenting the stages, and he made it seem like you know, ah, day one, you know, ah, it's easy, you know, just a light jaunt around the building, and you know, <laughs> nothing too bad. But it sounds like you guys are getting the real it's picture. Fun. If they count, if they're count saying day one is the prologue day, that's a whole whopping 11 kilometers. Yeah, that's just a little zip around the bivouac and back. He's right. It's, <laughs> it would be, you know, stage one is a lot different than that. Yeah. Yeah, they said, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, they said stage one. He says easy navigation, getting legs. Getting their legs, you know, is, is how he put it in stage one. So I don't think that's the prologue, but the actual stage. But, man, I don't know. It sounds like it might be a different picture <laughs> you guys are getting. Nice. Well, I, Ed, are you looking forward to any other adventure after this, after the Dakar, or are you just solely focused on that? Uh, no, you always got to be thinking ahead, Victor, and making plans, so... Um, trying to decide whether to uh, go see Africa or the stands, which is Himalayas, Pamir Mountain kind of concept up up through Tajikistan, got uh, Kakistan, all the stands up there. There's at least seven countries that end in stand. Yeah, so. I haven't made that decision. We'll probably make that after the car, after after catching our breath. Yeah, uh, yeah, I could see you could probably going to take a few days after that just to kind of hang out and not do anything, let the body recuperate. So nice. Well, I know it's late where you're at, so we'll. Uh, if you want to sign off, we'll switch over to uh, to Mr. David Pearson. I know you've uh, excellent been there, but Thank I appreciate you, you sharing. Yeah. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing, you know, your, your adventure and what you're on now and, and we'll catch up after. I feel like there's gotta okay. be a part two to that. And, and after the Dakar. Uh, well, there certainly is. And then, you know, David and I have been fortunate to have quite a number of adventures in our lives. And this is just the current one I'm on. There's lots of good stories about old ones too. Nice. Yeah. This is definitely the biggest, I think. We you know, we just keep going up in levels and I don't know if there's another one bigger than this, Jim. So I've been doing that research. Yeah. That's what I said. I, I'm like yeah. there's gotta it, this is gonna top a lot of adventures. This would be like when asked the question, you know, what's the biggest adventure you've been on? I, I feel like this is gonna replace a lot of them. 
True, true. Yeah, it, yeah. When you when you throw it out there as that kind of question, you know, you know, riding across Australia, well, is, was that as big or doing a loop around South America on our adventure bikes chasing the Dakar race. That was a great adventure. That's a big one. You know, three weeks chasing the whole event. Doing 17,000 foot passes and going through the Atacama Desert. That's big. For crazy history on that, Victor, too, that was 2014, which uh, Jim and I and about four or three other guys went down there and chased some of the race. The only American racing that year was a guy by the name of Mike Johnson on a Honda that he, I think, could barely keep together. Uh, after that, came back, and now he's the guy that we all love and know on the on the whole uh, the whole rally comp world. You know, yeah, that's crazy. And he then he finished that. that was, he did. Yeah, well, he he kept the Honda running. <laughs> Who would have known yeah, years I've later? Heard, I've I've heard some stories from him on the on putting in three staters in one day uh, and having to source them out of dead bikes on the side of the trails. Been pretty interesting. That He said that was a long day for him, like 22 hours or something. Cool. I'm going. Jim, uh, good to talk to you, sir. Love you. I'll catch up with you on our spreadsheets, and uh, I'll see you in a week and a half, two weeks. Sounds, sounds great. Signing off. All right. All right. See you, sir. All right, David. Victor. Are you ready? <laughs> I am so ready a long time ago. So I'm, I have uh, been planning on this one for for years, and I am just keep spreading out amongst my gear bags, trying to make sure I got everything I need, you know? Yeah. And that's, I, I kind of saw some of the posts that you guys had in the group and, and seeing that, right? And everybody's talking about what you guys are packing and what you guys are doing. I mean, has it been... How much of a challenge has that been? What goes on the bike? What goes in the bag? What gets taken? I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely ebbed and flowed, and it and we've been fortunate. Just just we've all been fortunate. Kyle's been a great connector and a good history guy, and so uh, a lot of the Americans that have done that Dakar have been very helpful. And so, but we're getting stuff from like Ricky Braybrick and and Andrew Short and Skyler and now Mason. And they're giving us their list of their gear and the stuff they're bringing. And we're like, oh, we just need to duplicate that. You know, if you can do what the pros can do, you can do, right? And uh, and then we were talking to Basta Car, which is helping us get our Malay Moto stuff prepped for when we get over there, bikes and boxes. And, and we're like, yeah, okay, we've got all this. We've got like a seven gear sets and all this thing. And Bart's like, what? You know you're in Malay Moto. You'd be lucky to change your gear once. So... Um, plus they're not going to pack all your shit. So we've been scaling down and then it's what parts, what bits, what pieces, you know, what mechanical stuff to bring. So it is, it's been a constant ebb and flow and, and I'm sure it'll change over the next couple of days, but I think the bulk of it is there. And, and, you know, after some point you just figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At at one point I feel like that's going to be the, okay, we can't take this. So we're going to have to pare it down to that and, and just send it. <laughs> I feel like that's the, cause there's not a lot of room, right? I mean, you, the Malamoto box is about yeah. what size? I think it's an 80 liter metal trunk. 
um, that fundamentally is going to hold all of our bike mechanical stuff and probably a few other things, but air filters, oil filters, tools, nuts, bolts, zip ties, bits and pieces, duct tape, all those things, right? So that is that is what that box is going to contain. Uh, the organization is going to let us drag a gear bag around and then probably one other small duffel that will house our camping supplies. Um, and that's really it. Other than that, they throw a tent at you, a uh, stand for your bike, a seat for your ass, and uh, they wish you well. <laughs> and add a boy. <laughs> Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> when you're crying in the corner, they come over and they're like, it looks good. You keep go. go. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go. The so I saw that like um I, I saw Baja Rally, I saw the video of you guys uh working on setting up a tent. Is that the tent that uh that these guys uh provide? Is that what's uh Victor, it's the only tent we get and I still can't do it. So um, a few of the guys have, have physically went out and bought the tent, so they own it and they've been sleeping in it. I, I've been adventure riding for a long time in my life, so I have like 12 tents. I don't need another tent. <laughs> and, and that tent is purpose-built, great tent, um, but it won't fit folding nicely on my KTM 890 or my 450. And um, So I just said I'm not going to buy it. It can't be that hard. And then I got to the Baja and – tried to use Paul's and then that's where Willem caught that video and then things went a little viral. And, uh, <laughs> a may or may not have ended up on the internet. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. The may or may not have bleeped a bunch of it. And there's, uh, I've talked to enough guys that may or may not have out of rage, ripped the thing completely apart. So, <laughs> but, uh, they so use, I, they use some of those duct tape uh, and zip ties to uh <laughs> that'll work <laughs> it is it is number one on my list of things to do when i get to saudi is to get my tent go sit in a corner and get my sweat workout in and practice that thing for two hours till i get it right I, i've dedicated two hours to that tent better not let me down yeah and so that was an interesting thing and you kind of mentioned it a minute ago with bart saying about you know packing stuff up so just can you give a quick 30,000 foot overview of what a day in Malamoto looks like, what you're expecting? Um, so, I, yeah, I think if, if you talk about it in an in and out situation, we've, we've all been working on our own individual kind of lists of things, right? And, and uh, they, they share a lot of commonalities. Um, you know, at 30,000 feet, I've boiled it down to uh, when I come in for the day, it's uh, deal with my body deal with my camp, my bike, my body, and go to bed, right? I mean, but we look at it as as soon as you show up, you know, uh, to the details of get gas, you know, and, and, and with that comes the caveat. If I get gas, I have heavy-weighted tanks to take off and stuff to take off, and depending on what repairs or maintenance i got to do, I just got to keep making alternate decisions, right? But get gas, get your bike on the stand, grab your gear bag, you know, move into your work clothes, set up your tent, get yourself prepared, eat, then start looking at your motorcycle, get that repair done before you get maintenance done. Cause if you can't fix it, then you got your bigger problem. Then work on your maintenance and then deal with tires and deal with food and a rider's meeting and a start time. It just, uh, there are a huge list that goes down to all the way of you know, eating your vitamins and taking your pills and getting ready for bed and then hitting the sack and 
you know, making sure you set your alarm because it's, it's, it's three, 4 a.m. mornings every day. You know, it's not, and we're on a 12 hour cycle change of time anyway, just getting over there. So the, the time changes are just going to be daunting the first couple of days, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get settled in. And, and what do you guys, um, that's an interesting one because it literally is like I was looking at it and it's literally opposite. You know, we're going to bed, you guys are waking up and, and racing, you know, we wake up to results here stateside. So what are you guys doing to prepare for that? I mean, is there anything you're doing? I, I, uh, I, I, I just finished, I, oh, I read a little while ago, but I, I finished another couple of recaps of the Joey Evans book, which is the Parada Dakar, you know, uh, interesting, just super motivational Dakar experience from a guy from South Africa. His paraplegic came back and rode the Dakar is amazing. But, um, uh, one of the things he said getting over there was he just wasn't going to even look at the results because it wasn't. He, the, the whole goal is to finish. And so all he really focused on every day was to go in and figure out what his start time was. And as long as he made his start times and he could finish the day, that was what was important. How he finished and how he raced is not it. And, I, and I'm, I'm taking a big playbook cue from that as well. And I'm my goal is to not look at results. My goal is to look at my start times, know when I have to be in, be out. I'll let the chips fall where they may a little bit, Victor. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's inter- that's a very interesting thing um, that you say, because, yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen it at rallies. There's some guys that are like jonesing for the results, like they just cross the line and they're either hanging out because they want to know what the times are. They're coming over my shoulder to look at the rally comp screen to see, OK, well, how does mine compare and all that? But what you're saying makes absolute sense. The goal is to finish. And I think that it starts there is OK. Well, we know there's a number associated with the day today, but trying to ignore got- that. I got that, you know, I I got into that just doing the finishing up at the Sonora rally because, you know, it was my third rally in a month and a couple of days. And uh, Baja sort of got that into my head, you know, because you just had a couple of days where, you know, Paul had a big accident. And so it just wakes you up a little bit. And you say, okay, I got to make these days and not worry about where I place. And and even the Sonora, which was a good event for me, you know, I I won the road to Dakar. Um, One of the guys that I'd really bonded with for a while was a guy by the name of Jordan Reed from Canada. And we finished the whole event and, you know, he finished seventh pro to my eighth pro overall by a minute, you know, and I was, I kept, you know, we were just inching each other a little bit and nudging. And I'm like, had I known, I might've, you know, turned it on when he came by me on the last day and just kept with him. Cause then I would have taken the minute. I probably had the energy and the power to do it, but I'm like, I just have to finish this event. Uh, that was the key for me. And it, and it turned out to be the better way to roll. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, the results showed and it worked, and you ended up. Uh, and congratulations, by the way, you ended up with the road to Dakar, right? Yeah, you know, it was a huge, unexpected boost to the budgeting process for for all of us, for me, for sure. Um, you know, we were we were we had it all in our sights for the Sonora. Um, Paul didn't make it. Uh, myself, the rest of us. Jim showed up, as you know, for a couple of days of uh, supporting the the organization and doing a little bit of. Uh, final chasing and so it worked out really well I, I'm, I couldn't get more excited and we've been Jim and I both been buying for the road to Dakar for the last five four or five years so it's uh it's, it's cool that one of us finally got it you know yeah it Jim's gonna be Jim's turn next year uh, yeah we'll see <laughs> if if he's stateside and he's not you know in some far off place <laughs> <laughs> which either way is a win <laughs> true yeah true <laughs> so 
Speaking of, you know, adventures and being in, in, in places everywhere around the world, what has been your big adventure before the Dakar? Yeah, yeah, I was listening to Jim's and, you know, we, Jim and I have been very fortunate that um, we have had some amazing adventures. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, our, our parents passed away when we were quite young, uh, mother in our early fives and six, and then our father in our teens. And so we really became quite self-reliant, but it also sort of put us on a road early uh, throughout the United States. And we spent a couple of months camping from Florida to Colorado, where we ultimately moved. And, and so it just set the bug in place for us. And so we've been working hard to always uh, have good vacations and good adventures. And um, I think the big one for me, Victor, is uh, I had a early midlife crisis when I was 29, 30, and uh, worked at a bank job and just needed change. And so I managed to pull a trigger and I sold my house and every motorcycle I owned but one. And uh, I got in a backpack and I bought the round the world ticket and a Euro pass. And I had a couple of key spots to go to. And I spent 10 months in a backpack living in hostels, traveling around the world. So it was, uh, it was an awesome experience. It was totally an awesome experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, it, the name Charles Cena one comes to mind because I know that that was something, a, a kind of a similar thing that he's done and he's been traveling the world for, I don't know how many years now, but, Dude, that's crazy. I had I had no idea that you had done that. And we, it, I mean, I was you know I was thirty on those travels, and so I was in hostels and all sort you know, and I I did a little bit different than Jim. Um, I really liked the people and the emotional aspect of the connections and the community. And wasn't quite the cultural history site guy. I liked the modern what's going on, and so I was you know I flew to London initially, and so you know I hit a lot of the big cities. Uh, I spent time, uh, through Europe and then I got out of Europe and, and, uh, you know, I spent a month in Thailand and a month in Australia and time in Egypt. And so it was a really cool experience to travel around, but I was 30 hanging out with, you know, 21, 22 year old college kids, uh, that just kept looking at me like, you're what you did. You're, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we just got finished school. And so I'm on my like sabbatical before I get a life, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I just finished my life, man. <laughs> Don't do it. You know? So, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Dude. Yeah. I mean, and that's so in the, on that trip, in that trip and on that trip, what was the, the particular highlight? I mean, was there a place that you went to? Was there a, a mini adventure in that? I, I, I had a very fluid around the world thing, but I, I made two key things happen on that that 10 months. And one of them was, was Thailand. I just really wanted to explore Thailand. So I spent a month in Thailand, um, a little bit of that on motorcycle. I rented a bike there for a while and, and rode, rode around. And then I, I did the, I did the eco adventure tour in Thailand where I spent two weeks, um, in a eco jungle tour with, uh, an Australian company and a couple Australian ladies. And so we did, you know, couple three days on the backs of elephants through small villages in the jungle of Thailand. And then we, I kayaked down a little bit of the, one of the tributaries to the river Kwai and um, spent some time in villages that were, you know, 30, 40 people. And, you know, the chief moves out of the main village uh, hut, you get in there and, you know, and we all kind of try and communicate and relate and 
so that that was by far one of my awesome experiences. The kayaking was crazy. The just running an elephant was like it's it's like dirt bike riding because those guys would come down these big mud hills into the river crossings and they would just slide their whole body from one slide of a berm to the next slide of the berm, right? And you're sitting on top of it or holding it to ear, hoping, hoping to God, it, you know, it makes it through this thing, you know? And, uh, and then every once in a while it shows you who's boss and takes you into the woods or the jungle and tries to get rid of you, you know? <laughs> Great. So do you ride with your toes pointed in on those to kind of grip the <laughs> grip with your knees a little better? <laughs> you do, you know, and I was that crazy guy. So I often, you know, uh, went for the head roll, you know, cause they had, you know, the elephants had a little, uh, sitting area on top of the back, or you could just jump up on the head, grab the ears and keep on going. The, the tie guides had very much vocal control over the elephants and they directed them that way. And then every once in a while we do a river crossing where, where it was, it was really much like you knew the current and where you went into the river crossing and where you came out was like 200 meters apart. Right. Ooh. Cause those elephants just, move down the river right because they couldn't come right across it was moving so fast and so then you get every one of the guides and all of us you get five or six people hanging off this elephant as he goes trudging through this river into the next entry level to get out of the river and so you're you know uh the ladies that i was with all the australian ladies were uh were really quite adventurous so we had a really good time i don't think we really had many problems i the spiders were the ones that freaked me out more than anything but uh it was it was pretty cool. Did they have license plates or, or what was it? <laughs> uh, nope. And when, uh, when they dropped fuel, you knew it. I can tell you that. So oh, geez. <laughs> don't get near an elephant when it's ready to let go. That's yeah. All I <laughs> yeah. Pro tip. <laughs> Do not stand near the exits. Got it. <laughs> My other big one was, um, was Australia. And, and, uh, so I spent a month there. I literally flew into, um, Sydney and took a bus to a little motorcycle shop. And, uh, the way it worked in Australia was I had to, I couldn't really rent the bike, so I had to buy it. Mm-hmm. So I bought a little Yamaha XT 600. Uh, the deal was I rode it for the month. And if I brought it back into the shop in a decent order, he bought it back. And so, um, <laughs> it didn't really work out that way, but, uh, so I grabbed that bike and I rode around for a month and then, a, in a, crazy couple of weeks uh talked my brother into coming in so we met in a little town north in the kimberleys and hooked up with a guy with some pretty good dirt bikes and he took us out back riding for five or six days i believe of just crazy australian um outback fires aboriginals you know just beautiful water holes every day we went swimming in so that was that was very cool. Uh, we didn't get to Ayers Rock, but we spent most of the time in northern Australia riding around dirt bikes. I thought that was just it was just awesome. I go back there in a heartbeat. Oh wow! Okay, and just out of curiosity, right? I've seen the Fink, right? And a lot of people know the Fink, right? The Baja One Thousand, then there's the Fink, and then there's of course the Dakar Rally, and a, and a bunch of rallies in between. But what what's the terrain like down there? I mean, is it, is uh, it compared to Baja? It is. Uh, there's some similarities. It is, it's got a lot of different cutouts in the way the rocks operate. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a vast big old Island Australia is. And so, you know, much to like Baja, you can run down to the coast and you're back up into the mountains. There's a lot of flat land in Australia that, that 
goes into the interior. Um, we rode through a couple of days through just bushfires, like the road, the two-track road we rode through had literally bushfires going on on both sides of it. Like you could feel the flame and the heat coming off as we were cruising down the road. Um, as it turns out, some of it's natural and some of it is the aboriginals there would light the fields on fire to drive the animals towards them so they could hunt. And so there was a mixed flow of what was working on in, in Australia. But, uh, you know, the people are so cool. And uh, I think it was home to one of my first tattoos in a little town called Manly Beach. So it was cool. Nice. And that, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's kind of crazy, right? You, the the necessity of it, right? You get fire. I wouldn't have thought, like, you know, I think fires are natural occurrence and all that, but I wouldn't think that, oh, you know, yeah, it's actually a hunting tactic. Yeah, but. Yeah, I get, you know, the, like the buffalo, around the buffalo off the cliff kind of thing for the Indians. The aboriginals found their way to do a little bit of hunting and getting some of that. Uh, the vastness of the land, you know, made some of that difficult for them. So, uh, you know, and there were certainly tensions between the people that moved into Australia and the people that were there originally, which is a lot like what you see in the States and Canada, you know, um, it's a, it's a tough balancing, but you know, the coast of Sydney and Melbourne, and it's really weird to fly into Australia, get on highway Pacific coast highway one. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're a California guy, right? Mm -hmm. You get on the Australian PCH highway heading North Mm -hmm. And the ocean is on your right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in Cali, you're doing that all. It's all like cattywampus a little bit, you know? Yeah, so, com- completely the opposite. You're headed south to have the ocean on your right. Yeah. And I, I rode in a lot of countries that uh, you're riding on the wrong side of the road, which I, I fundamentally have come to believe that riding on the left side of the road is the preferred way to do it for right-handed people. Interesting. I'm left-handed, so that's not going to work for me. You're doing great in the States. Don't change. Yeah. <laughs> We've so many accidents because us, us right-handed people got to turn left into oncoming traffic. It's just not It's not right. This is not natural. Yeah. The, you know, and it's interesting because I've seen, like, you know, the KTM Adventure Rally and stuff like that. And, and some of the the stickers that I've seen, you know, reminder stickers that they put on the windscreens, like, you know, stay on, <laughs> ride left or whatever it is, you know, to make yeah. sure. <laughs> In, uh, in Ireland, they have big signs on the highways in German that talk about how many Germans have died in Ireland this year because they because in Germany you're on the right and in Ireland you're on the left. And so Ooh. riding in Ireland throughout the whole highway system, they just kept screaming, Achtung, Achtung, attention, you will die unless you get on the right, you know, get back to the left side of the road. So That's things, things you wouldn't really think of. Right. You know, or I mean, if you haven't traveled the world or haven't been to these places, you know, you would never know that I, I never knew that those signs existed, that they would remind people <laughs> of that other than the stickers that I've seen. But that's on a whole nother genre. And, you know, it changes in a train ride for a couple hours, you know, because you move from one country to another country, certainly in Europe, uh, very quickly, um, you know, and. And then it spreads back out again as you get into Egypt and some of the areas to Thailand and back around, you know. Yeah. Man, that is absolutely crazy. So the theme, and as I'm, you know, talking, you know, to you guys is is rally racers have seen the world. At some point I've seen the world or have traveled to a few different uh, destinations. So I I believe uh, uh, 
and Darren Skillen's uh, Sonora Rally philosophy is like it's, you know, Rally has provided, I think he said Rally provided him, and I believe it, uh, just a great opportunity to have amazing adventures around the world and meet some like-minded, phenomenal people. And and uh, and that's certainly been the case for me. Getting into this Rally world has been awesome. I've met Canadians I've re-loved. Uh, you know, you just take a look at, some of the people we've met, the guys on the team, and Mo Hart and Kyle. I mean, it's uh, you just don't get a better better stock of people than rally people, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's very. Um, it's an interesting. It's a, it's a club, but everybody's kind of welcome. It, it's a very different. You know, I. It's an interesting dynamic, and I mean, I, yeah, I guess I mean if you're into whatever sport you're into, if you're into shuffleboard, I'm sure the shuffleboard groups are you know, <laughs> are just as welcoming, but. The motorcycle adventures seem to, you know, you don't hear about the shuffleboard, uh, you know, international, the Dakar equivalent of shuffleboard or uh, what's that other one that uh, the there's the one that they throw the weight down the ice and they got the guys uh, sweeping in front of it. Oh, curling. Curling. There we go. Yeah. Curling. Uh, you may get to see the world since I, it's part I, of the yeah, Curling, you get drunk and you throw rocks at each other. That Let's be real. Ah. <laughs> I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan. We got drunk and we threw rocks at each other on the ice. We then somebody professionally called it curling. Uh, but for most Canadians, it's getting drunk and throwing rocks at each other. Ah. So this was a more um, TV friendly version. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There we yeah, go. Uh, just uh, yes. You could go back like 10 years of curling videos and you'll see. Just see, look at the body shapes. You'll know it was a drinking game. <laughs> more than a, more than the the professional sport that's now on the in the Olympics uh, that it's be, that it's become. That's right. It's you know, the Kansas bobsled team. You know, <laughs> well, Freedom Rally guys. I feel I feel like I want to find the origin story of curling. I feel like that might be an interesting road. Uh, we could get Jim back on because I find my brother has a head full of crazy, useless information like this. And so it's <laughs> possible that Jim knows the origin of of this game. I, I don't know. If there's a guy that knows, it he may would be. pull that up. So. I, I, I wonder if it, you know, it was one of those, like, uh, it, it was a bet. You know, they were trying to decide something, and, and that's how they were going to decide it. I'm going to throw this down, the, <laughs> and if you make it within this range, you're good. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, you know, I'm I am Canadian by birth, Victor, as <laughs> and uh, American by naturalization. So it's always uh, to go do this event where we're really going to try and break some American records is is personally awesome for me because of my Canadian heritage and my American patronage. Yeah. Um, I'm proud to be part of both countries. So it's uh, I, I one of the things I packed, which was my American flag, and then I struggled to be like, should I bring my Canadian one too? Hmm. I mean, you know that it, it's kind of crazy. You know, you would. Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm I'm not in that situation, but at the same time, I'm kind of thinking like because that podium picture, right? That at the end, the emotion of that, and and the road that it has been, because it's not. You know, maybe some people, ah, it's just another race and it's just another rally, but the Dakar is such a bucket list item is such a big undertaking. It's not something not very many people get to decide in one year and put that together and say, okay, uh, it's January next January. I'm going to be in Dakar. 
yeah, it, it is this it for me this is personally is a real bucket list item um you know huge credit to my brother and uh i think i've told you but in about eight years ago i had a huge motorcycle street bike accident and ended up in the hospital for a couple of weeks and broke a leg and a foot and a knee and all my ribs and spleen and kidney stuff and uh as i was laying in the hospital bed uh you know my brother who's a encourager of getting up and continuing to go was like all right what are we doing next what's the next adventure where do we start our plans and i'm like and i said to him i said i've always really wanted to do the dakar you know i mean i thought that was just one of the most awesomest hugest biggest events in the world and we you know we percolated through motocross to hair scrambles to enduros to desert races and and we thought that was the epitome of the top of it and uh so sure enough you know he got he got connected and he was the guy that signed us up for our first Sonora rally in 2017. And he's like, we're going to do it. Let's go do it. You know? And it, it was one of those things that just got me out of the wheelchair and back onto the motorcycle and back into the racing world. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been cool ever since. So Nice. That is, that's huge. I mean, that's, so the journey started in 2017. Journey for Rally started for me in 2017. Uh, we clearly went down and chased the Dakar in 2014 just to get a picture of what that looked like. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been, we've just been, you know, riders since for almost 40 years. So you can't, you cannot ride motorcycles and not have some understanding at some level of what the Dakar is. And in 14 is when we really got really educated on how daunting and challenging it is and how much the roadbook and the navigation plays into the game and that really both got a, both of our brains moving and added to the strategy of what we do and so it's, it's just been it's you know i have too much rally equipment right now victor do you need some <laughs> we're getting there I, I got a i got a 501 that seems like it's going to be my life's project <laughs> you know uh you know matt okay, okay victor Okay, David. Here's the history of the four one one on curling. Uh oh, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt since, this for <laughs> it's been, it's been around since the sixteenth century and they say that the Scots kind of invented it, but it was the first team sport in the world. FYI. Oh, no. See you <laughs> see you guys. Time out. Gotta go. <laughs> All right, Jim, thank you. <laughs> I, we, Victor, we used to joke that Jim kind of had a bit of a Walmart brain. Whole lot of shit up there, not really worth much. <laughs> Over time, it's evolved. He's gotten better, and we're kind of at the target kind of mode. We, we were okay. we weren't thinking we were quite at Neiman Marcus, but we're at the La Target kind of section. You know? <laughs> well, hey, we're we're moving up, but that I mean. Think about it. Okay, so things we've discussed. The second oldest profession in the book. The first oldest team sport in the book. So <laughs> we're covering a lot of ground here, you know. And and then, of course, you know, the, the, the round-the-world adventures. You know, you backpacking and Jim and the Earth Roamer, you know, picking spots with a dartboard. You know, so <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're doing good. So what is, I mean, we're literally countdown, right? You guys are, are only a few days out before shipping. We are, yeah. We're barely, we're less than two weeks, week and a half. Nice. What's uh, what's left on the list? What what is it for you guys? I mean, uh, I've been joking with people. I'm like, uh, I'm ready to fly out tomorrow. I I have I have little things. 
Uh, the FIM license was the big one. We, we crested over that today. Um, mild. I got a, you know, a couple things from Amazon still waiting to show up, which is, you know, a small battery charger just to keep my air vest rolling. So I don't have to go fight with the battery systems at the Malimoto tent and, um, just some little stuff, but ultimately I'm truly ready to rock and roll. You know, we've had, we had such great support from everybody. I, I just can't even begin to thank the climbs and the giant loops and, you know, uh, the Albert star guys and the, the recluse systems. And I mean, it's just been awesome. You know, um, your support and help. I know you're going to try and do some daily updates for us. Cause once we get into it, we just, we just got to get into it. There's not going to be much time for a phone WhatsApp test check, you know, it's just not, it's not how that's going to work. And so, uh, uh, you know, part of it is about the disconnection you're going to get when you get there. You know, you just got to focus on, you just got to focus on this. You can't, you can't let other stuff in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, that's, that's a very interesting, it, I think that is very interesting. And it's, and it started with you saying, you know, it's like the idea of ignoring the results like that literally, like it starts there because the only result is the finish is the, the end, you know, the end game of it. It's not the, the stuff in between. And, by that token, we also know in rally, it's the same thing. And I've seen it time and time again. If you focus on navigation and just having a clean day, it, you just rise to the top without even trying because the people that are pushing really hard, they're riding over their head that are doing all of that stuff. It's just, it's very counterproductive in short order. So I think, you know, I, I think what you said is, is very important and focusing on that. And, and yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to doing the updates and hearing about you guys and, I, I try and, you know, I try and stay out of the hair of the guys out there, you know, when they're out at the Dakar, uh, not messaging them because I know they're getting a ton of stuff, you know, requests and, and people want information. So I'm happy to help with that and, and help ease that because, of course, you guys are doing a big thing. You guys have put together a hell of a team and, you know, with all the support and all that stuff. So, yeah, we want we want to hear about it. So I'm happy to be the kind of the, the funnel and get that information out for you guys. Cool. Here's, here's a couple milestones for you from um, our historian, Kyle, right? So um, we know this is going to be uh, one of the biggest attended American uh, motorcycle class that they've ever seen. We know after day six, we've crested beyond what any other Americans done in Malimoto. So we have to get, we got to get over that milestone. And then our big goal is to bring five guys across the finish line. And so we know that's, that's an individually tough sport um, that we all have to be capable of being aware of trying to help each other out, right? Whether it be on the actual course during a special stage or a liaison or, you know, in the in the compound, in the bivouac, helping each other through late night activities. So it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a test of our emotional fortitude and our personalities and our friendships. So I'm I'm excited to go through that. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm visualizing it uh, and, and I'll make sure I'm cutting up onions for the, the, the podium ceremony. That way I got an excuse, <laughs> but, uh, that I think is going to be really cool. See all five of you guys on, on that at the end, you know, and, and I mean, if there's a team that can do it, I know it's you guys, you know, that that's the dynamic that you guys work together and, and it's a bunch of guys that you guys don't know how to say no. And don't know how to you know quit. So that's I think that's the mentality going into this. Yeah, it, it's going to be a year. Uh, thanks to Jim and Kyle and all of us just all over the country, 
Um, we have not yet in the last year all been in the same room at the same time. Video chats, conversations, races around the world. None of us have. We've all been together in different places at different time, uh, different things, but we've never all been together in the same room for almost a year. So uh, that's it's good. <laughs> it's good dinner. Be a good reunion. It's going to be a good dinner when we all land uh, with no drinking, which is going to be, so uh, you know, might be somber. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, uh, you know. It'll be they'll, they'll, there's the task at hand. There's this pesky rally or whatever, something like that, the day car or something going on. <laughs> yes, I'm still just trying to put some weight on. So uh, uh, I've convinced my wife that two percent milk, ice cream, uh, Hershey's dark sauce, and chips oil cookies are good for me every day. Yes, that is a part of a balanced calorie intake. Uh, high on calcium, right? <laughs> Makes the bones stronger. Uh, the sugar brain needs sugar <laughs> pulling every excuse out of the, <laughs> I, I lost a good chunk of weight just doing three rallies in you know, October. And so it's, someone's just been trying to put a couple pounds back on, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, that was one of the things that a lot of, you know, if you, we noticed it around the bivouac that, that you had dropped some weight. I mean, you were looking fit and I mean, and looking ready for, you know, this, this, you know, 15 day challenge. My old my old body's taking a beating, so I'm doing my best to keep it all glued together. So she's got metal and plates and screws and all sorts of pieces in there, but uh, everything seems to be operating. So I'll I'm going to get there with everything I can. So right. we'll do our best for uh, some video and occasional WhatsApp text for you too, if you're you yeah. know oh yeah sharing. absolutely just send them. Don't you know uh, that's going to be the big thing. I you know I think that not coordinating it and just if you got a second to, to send an update or whatever, I'll worry about getting it out and, and, and relaying the information that way you guys can get to get to business. So, very cool. Very nice. And yeah, I believe the, uh, the plates and all, they call that strategic reinforcement. So you should be good. <laughs> nice. Well, excellent. Well, I'm going to let you get back to it cause it's, it's Friday and I know you guys got some, some things to do. Thank you. Good talking to you, sir. Um, yeah. I'm sure uh, say hi to the rest of the boys as they come through your interview process. And uh, I'll see you. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Happy Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, looking forward to, to helping you guys and, and staying up to date with you guys. You got it, buddy. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. All right, so there you have it. That was David and Jim Pearson of the American Rally Originals. And very interesting. You know, I, I, I had an idea. I, I thought that this was going to be a big, uh, a, a big undertaking, right? And, and there's so many moving pieces to the rally and, and what they're going to be doing. Now that they've basically completed most of that list and now we're getting ready to head out there, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's time to reflect. And that's, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I, we still got, you know, Mo, we still got, uh, Kyle and we still got, um, Jeff on that. So, or Paul, I'm sorry, Paul Neff. I'm thinking Jeff Neff, uh, Paul. So we still have every, you know, three more of the team, the ARO team to go on this one. And it's, it's crazy, you know, and, and I, I really am picturing, you know, all five of these guys sitting there doing their thing and, and at the podium at, at the finish line, you know, and, and celebrating this because of this huge undertaking that it's going to be. So I'm absolutely looking forward to that. We still got uh, a few more episodes to record on this, uh, to do it. But my goal is to get this out before they head out to the Dakar, 
so then that way you guys have uh, some background, right? You know, the American Rally Originals team, you know, headed out uh, to the Dakar and and doing what they're going to do. So as promised earlier in the show and what we talked about, uh, let's talk rally updates. So Baja Rally announces that they're going to be opening up their entries and with a limited of 20 uh, discounted entries. So those are going to be up for grabs here coming up soon, uh, January 1st. Uh, so definitely want to get in that and remember they are going six days again. So that is absolutely awesome. Six day, nice long rally, uh, a lot of racing for you guys, uh, that are interested in and are looking to do your first rally. You know, Baja is very, ex- very awesome place to go down and ride just any other day. Uh, but to have a rally down there and with some of the routes that, that Scotty and the team, uh, down there get to get to, put together uh are are absolutely epic so i hope uh if you guys are looking at rally raid and doing some stuff uh that is definitely one of the rally raids to look at uh next on that one also sonora rally announcing and i believe their target date is also january 1st uh for opening entries to their rally in april remember this year around this time around and for the first year is going to be a round of the world rally raid championship so I've got some more information on that one. I kind of need to do a separate episode uh, just on what's going on with them because there's been a lot of questions. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of stuff going on about, you know, oh, well, now that it's a World Rally Raid Championship, you know, the entry fees quadrupled and, and you know, you can only run 453cc bikes at most. And, like, there's a bunch of stuff going on. So uh, I've been speaking back and forth with Darren and talking a little bit about, uh, you know, the rules and what it's looking like. And I can tell you right now, the very very first thing that comes every time when we're having those conversations, it, it gets reiterated is the vibe. You know, Darren is very, very aware of what he's built for Sonora rally and how that's come together with all of the people that have contributed to it. He does not want to change that vibe. You know, we're just, it's just getting bigger. It's just growing. Uh, but there are things that he has in place and things that he is very much working for to make sure uh, that the vibe doesn't change on the event. So that is uh, that is for Sonora Rally. They've also announced their school. They are going to be doing a Sonora Rally school. I'll be looking at and I'm actually going to message uh, the Baja Rally team uh, and see what they've got going on for their school um, coming in short order. So I, I, I definitely want to know what is uh, what is going to be up with that. Uh, let me see here. Get you guys the Sonora Rally uh, dates. I believe that is going to be in February. That is like the 17th, 18th and 19th is president president's day weekend, uh, is going to be the Sonora rally school. So, uh, for those of you guys that are interested in doing some rally training, that is definitely, uh, another place you want to get to, uh, do the rally trainings. You know, if you guys are, are, are curious or are interested in, uh, participating in your first event, you know, Make that first event the rally schools. You know, the way that these uh, trainings are operated uh, are basically like a live rally. And then they have some training and coaching in between. So I think that that very much, uh, although maybe a little bit more relaxed, but it gets you some really good experience for uh, for different events, you know, and and getting ready to to go do a multi-day event. So. I think that if you're signed up for any of the rally schools and, and getting that information, I think it's going to be a very, very big, uh, very big step forward. You know, don't uh, bite it off one one piece at a time. Right. Don't don't set your sights yet on uh, on entering the Dakar before entering, you know, either the Sonora rally or the Baja rally. You know, definitely get your feet wet, get uh, get your legs uh, and then grow from there. And, and you know, 
we have enough rallies here in in the North America region, including uh, the Kota rally, uh, which is also coming up. I've got a call a little bit later today with uh, with Mike Graves from the Kota rally uh, to talk a little bit about the event and and what's been going on and, and what's coming. Uh, he's already been working hard. You know, I've seen the posts already and and that event is coming soon, uh, which is going to be really nice. Hey, we've got a full on rally here in uh, in the United States, uh, where we can go and, and, and do our thing. So for you guys that are, that are interested in more information on that, I will be getting that information to you as well. Uh, I think what we'll do is a combination episode where we'll do the updates on the Sonora rally stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll try and get information from all three events, uh, and, and then relay it all in one episode. So you guys have a, a, a menu to choose from or so to speak, or hell, you know, you'll have a series. You can plan out your rally calendar and what events you're going to be attending to. And then also remember too, that's another big thing too, is uh, a lot of the organizations are usually looking for hands and people to help with it. Um, and when you go and volunteer and help at these events, you kind of get a lay of the land and, and the flow. You get an idea of the inner workings of what the organization has to do to put an event like this on. And I believe that on the other end, just like once you know how to make road books, uh, it's the same thing. Once you know how to make uh, road books, once you know how an organization works, you're only going to be that much better when you're on the other side of the table. So I highly encourage that as well. If you guys want more information on volunteering for these events, you know, please, please do not hesitate. Send me a message. I will get you in contact with the correct people uh, so that that way you guys can get uh, get a, a rundown on, on what you can do or, or what you may be able to help with. Uh, so I definitely, uh, I'm definitely glad to help on that side of it. So anyway, with that being said, guys, I hope everybody is having a great week. I think we are, uh, we're getting close. I'm getting excited. Episode 100 coming. I've got some announcements. I've got some stuff for that already. So, uh, I am excited about that. I'm going to keep a lid on it though. We still got, uh, six more episodes to go. So anyway, with that being said, remember it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride.